0: Welcome back to Bat on Paper Podcast. I'm Becca Freeman. And I'm Grace Atwood. And today we have a really exciting guest. We have the author of our November book. So we have... Andrea Dunlop with us today.
1: Andrea is, as Becca mentioned, the author of this month's book club pick, which is We Came Here to Forget. And if you tuned in yesterday, you were here for our conversation about the book. So Becca and I both loved this book. We both read it in like 13 hours. Like it kept us on the edge of our seats. We couldn't like we just like couldn't put it down. So we're such big fans of Andrea and really excited to have her with us today. So Andrea lives in Seattle, Washington with her husband and daughter and has. Over a decade of experience in book publishing, she actually began her career as an in-house publicist at Doubleday. Andrea has published three, three novels, and they've been featured all over the place in Town & Country, Bustle, InStyle, Us Weekly, and of course, Bad on Paper. I like what you did there. I know. I had <laughs> I'm, very, I'm our number one fan. So welcome, Andrea. We're so excited to chat with you today.
2: Oh, thank you guys so much for having me. I'm a fan of the podcast, so it's really my pleasure to to be with you guys.
0: Well, we're excited to talk about this book. It's always so fun to discuss a book but then get to ask all our questions to the author, too. <laughs> yeah, cuz we can speculate, but you can actually tell us the the full backstory.
2: Yes, it's fun for me to hear everyone's speculations, too. You know, it's a it's sort of a lonely career in some ways. So it's really fun to sort of get out in the world and, and hear what people hear what people think.
0: Well, wait, so tell us where you came up with the idea for this book. There's so many different plot lines. There's like a skiing plot line. Um, there's a Argentina plot line. There's this um, Munchausen's by proxy plot line. Like where did you come up with all of these threads?
2: Yeah, so I mean, I guess to say just a little bit about my process, um, I don't know what exactly I'm writing when I sit down to start a book. So I usually have the main character is usually the thing that comes in first. So in this case, Katie, who just you know whooshed on in in her skis, um, you know, and I think the skiing part, I uh, I ski recreationally, and I think you know being a pro skier was just one of those sort of. Fantasy careers that I had in my head, um, you know, which I think one of the most fun things about being a novelist is that you kind of get to chase all of those threads that, that you have, um. You know, I'm a big admirer of Lindsey Vaughn. And I think I'm, I'm really have always been intrigued by people who are professional athletes. I was a pretty serious athlete growing up. I played tennis in college. So, you know, it was a big part of my life uh, for a long time. And I've always been really intrigued by kind of the idea of what happens to professional athletes after their careers end because their careers end so young. Um, so that was kind of always something that that was that was interesting to me and that I wanted to explore. And, you know, as far as kind of the necessary stuff and the Munchausen by proxy stuff. Um, you know, those are sort of just other threads of things that I want to write about. So it was kind of all these things coming together. Um, I just finished writing She Regrets Nothing when I started this book, or I just finished up a big round of edits on it.
0: Um, so that tends
2: to be for me, you know, I usually get my idea for my next book while I'm working on the previous one. Um, you know, so I kind of set out to this, I knew that Katie was a skier, I knew I was probably gonna write about Buenos Aires, because I'd always wanted to write about it. I spent some time there when I was younger. And um, and as far as the Munchausen by Proxy storyline, um, that actually takes some inspiration from my own family's story. So that was something that I always knew I was going to write about. I didn't know I was going to write about it when I started this book. And it wasn't until I kind of was getting deep in there. And then I sort of had this moment as I was sitting down with
0: Katie and figuring
2: out what happened to her at that um that I just thought, oh, okay, I guess I'm writing about this now. So that was a, that was an intense, uh, intense part of the experience of writing this book for sure. Oh my god! Wait, what? Uh, tell
0: us more. Yeah, we about need, we that. No more. Wait,
2: sorry. Which part? I, I know I just said a lot of things.
0: <laughs> we want to hear um, more about the the Munchausens connection in in your life. Whatever you can yeah. tell us. Where did this come from?
2: Yeah. So, um, sadly I had already done a lot of research on this issue on this form of abuse because we have a perpetrator in my family. Um, and that has been obviously a really difficult thing. And I think whenever, you know, you talk to writers, we usually end up eventually writing about whatever it is, the hardest, you know, most painful thing we've been through. Um, and I think for me, you know, when I, when I look back on why I sort of am writing about this in this stage of my life, um, you know, when I first started writing the book, my husband and I were just sort of starting to talk about starting a family. And so I think that it sort of makes sense that I was going to deal with whatever my big, you know, sad, scary family issue was around this time. I think, you know, now talking to a lot of other new parents, um, this is pretty common that you kind of, rehash all of that. Um, so I think it, you know, the timing makes sense. I did a lot of work on this book while I was actually pregnant with my daughter. Um, so that was very difficult at times. There was definitely a lot of days in my office where I was very emotional. Um, And I think that, again, it all makes sort of sense now looking back. Um, But yeah, so I think, you know, again, I I don't always know what I'm really writing about when I sit down to do it. So it wasn't as though I sort of sat down with this big intention to explore the issue. Um, But of course, that is what I ended up doing. And that's really led me in some interesting directions now that the book has come out. Um, It coincided with Munchausen by Proxy having this big, sort of cultural moment because of a bunch of these television shows. So there was Sharp Objects was the first one. Um, The Act, which is based on a true story. And then there was also a storyline in the more recent uh, Netflix show, The Politician. Um, And it's been crazy to see Munchausen's By Proxy being out there in pop culture because before these three shows came out, the the representation was so minimal um that people just really didn't have any idea what it was and having it has been a part of my life for around 10 years now since we sort of discovered you know some of these things that were happening and you know it's been a real challenge to even sort of initially you know now I've been talking about it a lot because of the book but um you know initially when I was trying to even explain it to sort of friends or other family members um You know, people didn't really have any idea what it was. And so now a lot more people have sort of a passing knowledge of it. Obviously, you know, there's also a lot of sort of misconceptions about it, um, which I'm kind of hoping to... To do my part to sort of uh, debunk and I've done kind of a lot of interviews uh, around that subject. So that's, you know, I talked to people about that and Vanity Fair and TV Guide and that that was mostly, you know, not so much about the book, but sort of about what about the issue and about what pop culture representation right now is getting right and what they're getting wrong and sort of what it. Why I think that it's something that's being explored in this moment when you know one of the things that makes the issue really difficult to deal with is that there's a very strong taboo around it, and it's something that people sort of haven't even wanted to look at in the past. Um, So yeah, that has ended up being a very big part of of this book coming out and of my talking about it, Um, which I which I expected, but I did not expect it to sort of coincide with these other pop culture things that were happening. That was that's been kind of wild
1: yeah it was crazy. I feel like I read your book and then I don't know maybe a month later I watched the politician and i I had never even heard of this this thing before
2: yeah,
0: yeah it's so interesting that this has kind of launched your um your personal advocacy of this issue um or or you know just talking about it. I'm also thinking about um have you kind of kept up with what what happened a long time ago with Jessica Knoll around The Luckiest Girl Alive, where... Um, um, uh, sorry, go on. Oh, so I think basically it was semi-autobiographical, and she, when the book came out, said, no, it, it wasn't, and then eventually was like, yes, it was. Um, I'm curious, like, was there a lot of apprehension on your end to, like, write some of your... Uh, or something that mirrored your personal experience into into a book? Or was it cathartic? Yeah,
2: Yeah, and I I actually paid quite a bit of attention to Jessica um, when she, and then that sort of whole, the way that that unfolded with her eventually feeling compelled to share that there was a personal story behind it. And that sort of you know, I really admired her for doing that. And I think she – yeah, so she, it's interesting that you bring her up because she was sort of a case study for me. Um, and then I also have a, a close friend who is a writer here called Lori Frankel, who, if you guys have not read her books, they're amazing. Oh, she wrote um, – um, what is it? It has an orange cover. What's her most yeah, recent book? This is, this is how it always is. Yes. Um, and so she – Is the parent of a trans child, which is a big theme of that book. And she also made the choice to talk about it publicly when the book uh, came out. And so she did a couple of interviews and wrote a couple of essays. And so, since she and I are friends, she and I had, she's also a Seattle writer, Um, she was a really big support to me and really helpful with sort of talking about, like, okay, what is it gonna, you know, what is that gonna be like to have that experience? Because, of course, as novelists, you know, one of the nice things is you can always hide be- behind it being fiction if you want to. Right. You don't right. have to. And I think there's, there's a lot of weird pressure on female novelists in particular to sort of talk about the real life story behind whatever they're doing. And for some reason, more than male novelists, we get this assumption that the character is us. Um, I think that's especially potent with first novels. And then once, you know, you've had multiple protagonists, then they can't all be you. So I think that gets a little bit less as you, you go on in your career. But I think, you know, there's also obviously this big, ecosystem of sort of personal essay writing, which has sort of crested a bit now. But I mean, especially back in like the exo days, you know, there's so many personal essays out there. Um, and there was a lot of, you know, there's always sort of this, okay, are you going to write about, you know, what what inspired this? And I don't always think that's necessary or helpful. I mean, I don't always think it necessarily you know helps inform reader's experience of the book and i i sort of in 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 a lot of cases want to keep those two things a little bit separate just because i don't know that it's really relevant to fiction always but i think in this case um you know and it's something i thought about a lot and i thought about it a long time before the book came out right so I obviously wanted to talk to my family and make sure that they were, um, you know, make sure that they were supportive of me doing that. I would not have done it otherwise. Um, And also, you know, there was just a lot of there was a lot of sort of moving parts in terms of like what all I could talk about, what details I could share, what was not going to be, um, you know, what was not going to be possible for me to talk about. Um, so, you know, it was really complicated and it was something that as a novelist, you know, I just hadn't been through it before because I really haven't shared that much about, you know, about my, about my personal life, especially not, you know, something this sort of big and, and difficult to talk about. Um, so, you know, I made that, I made that choice that this felt really important to say, you know, this part of the book is informed by real life so that sort of the people were not reading it and thinking, Oh, this is this outrageous thing that you know because so few, few people, especially before these television shows, had heard about Munchausen's by proxy at all. That people weren't thinking like, "Oh, this is this wild story and this is this crazy thing." But you know, she sort of invented as a as a plot device or as a as a thing to you know sort of hang hang this the the central tragedy of the novel around. And so, I really wanted to talk about that being informed by by real life experience because I want people to know about it. I want them to you know, and also it was really important to me that if someone read this book, which they have, and I have gotten the experience to talk to some people who've who've had this happen to them, um, who were either, you know, adult survivors or had a family member or a friend who had this um, happen to them, that they didn't feel so alone with that experience because that was really the defining, you know, one of the defining characteristics of this period in my life where this was really intensely going on was that I felt incredibly alone with it. And I think one of the most powerful things that novels can do is make people feel less alone with their life experience and so that was that was also really important to me that that you know people knew that that I'd actually been through that
0: wow I had no idea that this novel had such a personal connection when I was reading it
1: I know when we wrote (laughs)
2: the
0: interview questions I was like tell us some cases that that
2: you're familiar with because we're true crime junkies (laughs) yeah Yeah. Um, and I did actually, I, you know, I did actually study, you know, I have, of course, kept any time there's been a big case that's come into the news. Um, well, actually, that's, it's not true that any time, there was a period of my life where I really avoided anything having to do with this, because I was just trying to sort of, you know, recover and heal. And, and I got back into all of it. Um You know, as I was writing the book, obviously, and so I did end up reading about, um, I read about the Gypsy Rose Blanchard case, which is obviously the most famous because it's, you know, incredibly, um, just incredibly salacious and all the details and there's all these, you know, there was the murder and the online boyfriend and all of that. Um, and then, of course, the, the act sort of brought that to just even a, a bigger level of, um, of of people knowing about it. Um, and uh, the, the other famous case is the Lacey Spears case, um, which there was an excellent, tr- if you like reading true crime, um, there's a book called uh, My Sweet Angel that goes through that case. And I did end up reading that. Um, and I was very, very struck by, I mean, the thing when you read about a lot of these different cases there's such an MO to the whole thing. I mean, they all sound incredibly similar. So, it's weirdly cathartic to read. Oh god, read about I'm looking this. at the Amazon page for this book right now. Oof. Yeah. I mean, it's a rough read. I it's it's very very well done. Um and I think he's an excellent true crime writer. The details of the case, I will tell you, are incredibly brutal. Um so, you know, you have to sort of decide whether whether or not, you know, <laughs> for that. But um but it is it is very well done. Um and and it is a very good description of and investigation into what a case like this looks like and one of the very rare cases where the person is convicted. Um so Mark uh Mark Feldman who's an expert that's featured in that book is actually somebody whose work I knew of from a long time ago probably for 10 years because he's really the sort of number one kind of internationally renowned expert on the topic. Um, I've actually connected with him since the book came out and he and I are in the beginning stages of some, some advocacy and awareness work that I'm really excited about. He is a super, super nice guy. Um, he's studied this, you know, for the last 30 years at quite a lot of cost to himself. It's been not a popular, you know, field of study. It's not well supported. Um, you know, he's gotten a lot of, of pushback from various groups. So he is sort of a hero in my regard. And he, I just got an email from him the other day that he'd read the book and he loved it. Um, and that was probably the most meaningful review <laughs> I could ever get on this book. So um so yeah, it's been I mean it's been it's been kind of a crazy experience. I bet. Wow. Well on the
0: lighter side, I'm curious <laughs> what your connection is to Buenos Aires because I loved that plot line as well. It's funny. Yeah,
2: I
1: Sorry, oh no! I was just gonna say it's funny because that's what Becca fixated on, whereas I fixated on like the darker side of the book. Because we like Becca just like loves a romance, and I love a thriller.
0: So I feel like we <laughs> both our interests really aligned with this book. It was really funny when we were a few weeks ago on an episode we were introing the book and we were talking about it, and we realized that. I thought of this as a story of a woman rebuilding her life. And, and Grace thought of this as a story, like a very dark, twisty story about her past. So it was just interesting that like we both read the same book and took very, very different insights from it.
2: Yeah, well, and I I mean, first of all, I love that. Like I think um, back in the episode, you actually described it as a romantic comedy. And I was like, oh, that that's or having ele- elements of romantic comedy. And I thought, well, that's a first with this book. <laughs> but, I, but I actually love that because I do think that, you know, Um, this book does have a lot of different things and going on in it. And definitely like readers have taken really different things. I, you know, I sort of expected people to be fixated on the darker parts of it. And I think, you know, that was actually something that I was a little bit worried about, just because I think there is, again, sort of such a taboo around that. And it is sort of this like worst thing people can imagine, right. And so I, I, was a little bit worried that the book was going to get this sort of reputation as being like, oh, this is a dark, like really tough read. And I don't think the whole book is that way, right? Because I think you do have the sort of fun trajectory of like, all of that wish fulfillment of like, what if you know, your life's a mess, and you just could grab your passport and just like go reinvent yourself in some great country, you know, foreign place and just completely start from scratch. And so I think that that part of the book is fun. And it was fun for me to write. I mean, those those parts were kind of my relief from writing about the other stuff, right? So it was it was really fun. And I I just love Buenos Aires. I mean, it's just one of my favorite cities in the world. I spent about a month there when I was in my late 20s. Um, and just completely fell in love with it. And I think I always had it in my mind of like, okay, someday I'm going to set part of a novel here. And it just, it worked so well for this novel, because I think it's the perfect place to set a story about people who are trying to run away from something because Buenos Aires has this really long um, tradition of people reinventing themselves there. So some, in some ways positive, right? It's a, pl- a huge place for immigrants and sort of people coming to the, the new world, um, but also in some really darker facets, obviously the, the hiding Nazis and that kind of thing. Um, so, you know, Buenos Aires is just this beautiful city with all these wonderful things you know food and wine and the tango and the people are really lovely and then it has this incredibly recent really dark past so it just felt like you know the perfect setting for 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 this book. let's take a
0: quick break for a word from a sponsor so we are really excited about the sponsor it's fabfitfun so fabfitfun is a seasonal subscription box with full size beauty fitness fashion and lifestyle products
1: It brings me so much joy that FabFitFun is a sponsor. I love this box. I've been singing this box's praises for years. And what really cracks me up is how dramatically Becca reacted when she opened up her FabFitFun box. I get a text message from her just being like, I'm shook.
0: I mean, it's true. I feel like it was my birthday. I like literally was shocked how good it was. Yeah. It's really amazing. The value is insane. Yeah. I have no idea why I've never done this before. So, The box costs $49.99, but it's guaranteed to be valued at at least $200. This is like winning the lotto. It's a lot of stuff. And good stuff. And honestly, I think $200 is conservative. Like My box was absolutely valued at, at more than that. We got so many good things. So we got three full-size hair products, Frank Body Scrub, really cute fur-lined slippers. We got an eyeshadow palette. We got a body wash. We got a makeup towel. We got a necklace. I don't even think that was everything. Grace, what was your favorite thing that you got? So I have a few. Um, The Frank Body Scrub, I've been obsessed with this brand
1: for years and years. Like, Like, back when we were at Bobble Bar, I I became a fan because of our friend Danielle. The other thing that I didn't know about until Ashley Hasseltine told me was the makeup. Is it called the makeup remover? It's the makeup towel. It's amazing. It takes off all of your makeup. It's like this wonder product. I don't know how it works. It's magic. What do you mean? You don't have to use any makeup remover? I mean, I still do, but it takes all your makeup off with just the towel. Huh. Have you tried it yet? No. I think you're going to love it because you like makeup wipes. And it, so it's like a green alternative to makeup wipes that you wash and can reuse. Interesting. Ashley was like, that's the best thing in the box. I was like, what are you talking about? Like, I just thought it was like this random towel.
0: That's what I thought. Yeah, it was my least, I was least excited about it. But it's it takes all of your makeup off. Okay, so I am most obsessed with the shampoo and conditioner. So it's a full-size bottle of the R&Co television shampoo and conditioner, which is their one for perfect hair. Co is also very expensive. Yeah. I've bought Co before at my salon. Like, it's a salon brand. Like, it is so expensive. I That, I think, was the thing I was most shocked about, to have a full-size yeah. shampoo and conditioner. Not just one, both. I was like, what's that doing in here? It's, it's so oh great. Oh, my God. Yeah. And um, I like, just really hope that FabFitFun keeps working with us so that we get the other boxes. Oh, my God. I'm mean, going to have to subscribe if not. But, yeah. like... I When I opened it up and the shampoo and conditioner was in there, I was like, this is absolutely something I would spend my own money on. Same. Meaning the shampoo and the conditioner. Like I was like, oh, I would have gone out and bought this. Yeah. It was such a surprise to find something that was like so new and of the moment. Yes.
1: Another thing that we love about FabFitFun is that you can customize most of the elements of the box. So that's something that makes me nervous about subscription style boxes is like, am I going to get a bunch of junk I don't want? answer is no because you can choose what you want so there are some there's some things that everyone gets but you can choose some of your own hero products so like the shampoo and conditioner for example we chose that but you could have also chosen a jonathan adler candle or rebecca minkoff beanie and glove set I know. Also expensive.
0: Yeah. So I do want to say, so the boxes are seasonal. It's quarterly. And they do usually sell out. So if you're interested and like I'm interested, (laughs) you should be interested. You should sign up. So their winter boxes just came out. And if you're starting to think about holiday gifts... I feel like this would be such an incredible present for somebody. You only pay forty nine dollars and then they get something that's worth two hundred dollars. Like you get whew. you look really generous.
1: I know. Or you could break up the box and give like different things to your friends. Oh, I didn't even think about that. You could just that. like give one friend the shampoo and conditioner, give one person the dry bar um detangling spray and the makeup remover. Oh, I didn't even think about that. That one box could be like presents for all your girlfriends. Yeah. So, as always, we have a code for you. So, not only are you getting this for $49, you're going to get $10 off. So, you can get $10 off your first box with code BOP at fabfitfun.com. Once again, that's $10 off your first box with code BOP at fabfitfun.com. I might use our code and become a subscriber.
0: Get two boxes, and then you can pick the Jonathan Adler candle and the shampoo. I know, or the beanie. I know. I love a good beanie. Okay, back to the episode. So maybe now I want to pivot a little and I want to talk more about you as a writer outside of this book. I, I thought it was so cool to hear that you worked in publishing before becoming an author. And we've actually had on a couple of authors who've been in the same boat. But I'm curious, how does one make the, the jump from publishing and like working on books to actually
2: being an author? Well, so I mean, I always wanted to be an author really since I was a little kid. So that was, that informed my choice to work in book publishing for sure. And I actually recommend that as a career path if you can swing it, because you do learn just so much about the industry being on the other side. And I have, that is knowledge that I have, you know, am still just constantly sort of referring back to and and thinking about. You know, when I'm talking to my in-house folks or just like making career decisions, you know, I think that 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 knowledge from the inside has really um, has really helped me out a lot. So, you know, I always had this this aspiration. And like most authors, you know, for a long time, I was just working on books on the side and trying to make that happen. So I had, you know, again, like like almost every author I know, um, except for Lori Frankel. Uh, Lori Frankel got the first agent she queried and just has been with her ever since. So she's a complete outlier, but most of us, (laughs) you know, she's, and she's been through all kinds of ups and downs since then, but she, she had an easy entry. Most of us, um, you know, go through so much in the query process. I mean, I'm always emphasizing this to people when they ask me about it because I think you know you just really cannot underscore how enough how how long and winding that road can be, especially to getting that first uh, first book deal. So for me. I had uh, two previous agents to my now agent, Carly Waters, who I absolutely love and who is a very fun publishing person to follow on social media if you don't already. Um, But she, yeah, so she and I, the first book that we worked on together was Losing the Light. And that was a book that I'd been... Working on, you know, gone in and out of the drawer many times, been working on in some capacity since I was in college, so that it oh, really wow. been in my life oh, for a long wow. time. And my, my heart just kind of wouldn't let me let it go. But I, I wrote a bunch of other stuff, you know, in the meantime. I had another agent for a whole other novel that just we shopped together and it just didn't sell. And then that agent left agenting. So then I had <laughs> another project after that where I co wrote a book with this kind of influencer type gal. And then that project got torpedoed at the last minute, which was really heartbreaking at the time. i very glad now that that did not end up getting published um, because I think it was so much better to just do it on my own. Um, so there was a lot of just sort of going back to the drawing board and sort of projects that almost happened and didn't. Um, and, you know, it just, I think that that was all, again, now looking back at it, I'm very grateful for all of that because I think that it really helped me. A develop a lot of resilience, which you need as an author, because I think there's so much focus on getting that first book deal, but it's not as though everything's smooth sailing after that. Then you have to deal with all the ups and downs of being an author, of which there are many. Obviously, it's an artistic career. Um, So, yeah. And I think also, you know, my writing got better and better throughout that process. And you really do want your first book to be the best work that you can put forward, because, you know, that's what's introducing you to readers. So, um so yeah, there was, a, there was a lot of ups and downs. And through all of that, I worked a day job. Um And, you know, it was, it was sometimes sort of painful to work in publishing, just because I was sort of seeing all these people, you know, and I was living in New York until uh, 2000 almost 2010 was when I moved back to Seattle and so you know I was surrounded by a lot of people that I really perceived as oh these people are making it and I'm not and you know I think that that can be hard but it definitely just gave me so much inside knowledge and that has that has been really a blessing. And
0: when did you make the cutover from kind of doing both and having writing be your side hustle to being a full-time author? Yeah, cuz your site says that you are still
1: a social media consultant.
0: Yeah, and then- Grace with the receipts here.
2: I know. I'm like, you're excited. I'm like, oh, gosh. Well, you know, I've left that up because I have been sort of nominally still doing it. I have not taken on a new client in a while. Um, You know, really with my third book, that was really when I got the chance to take a little bit of a step back. From um, from doing you know full time freelancing, so I left my job at the previous company that I worked with in the summer of 2016, and so that was right after my first book came out. But I was freelancing full time up until let's see, probably really like early last year, Um, and I took kind of a couple clients on last year, and then you know, I, or maybe it was the year before, oh my gosh, I'm getting my own timeline mix, mixed up. So it sort of coincided with, you know, me getting, getting quite frankly, you know, an advance that could sustain me taking some time off from freelancing. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, I had a baby um, late last year. And so that is also um, an adorable and time-consuming project. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so yes, I'm not taking much freelancing on right now um, and would be very happy to just focus on my books for the rest of my career. But I do like it. I do like working with um, working with clients. I mostly work with authors. I occasionally would take on other folks. But of course, my whole background is in publishing. Um, and I really like talking to authors about that. So actually, I'm doing a lot more of that on my Instagram now. I'm doing these little videos on Monday that just talk about either writing topics or publishing topics. I saw that. Um, Yeah, so that's been like a really fun way to share it with a bigger group of people who can't necessarily, you know, afford my consulting fee, but I just making that information accessible, I think has been has been really fun and a nice way to engage with that audience, because I have a lot of aspiring writers who who follow me on Instagram. And I know that from sort of the posts I do when I do my sort of behind the scenes, uh, you know, writing process posts. And so I thought, oh, this would be great fun. And so so that's, that's kind of where I'm putting that energy at the moment, I think that's
1: so great. I'm I'm also very curious about what your own writing process is like. Um, in, in particular, with this story, I want to know if you wrote each one of the stories out and then spliced them up to make the chapters, or if you wrote it in the order that we read it.
2: So for this one, you know, typically I do end up moving things around a lot. And again, because I'm a, so we have this sort of um, nerdy dichotomy as writers that we call, you're either a plotter or a pantser. I don't know if you guys have heard that one. No, I've never heard that. So, you know, plotters are folks that like make their whole outline and they know what they're doing and they get organized like before they start writing draft one. Uh, And then pantsers, as you can probably imagine, are people who fly by the seat of their pants and just sit down and start writing and, you know, don't necessarily know a lot about what they're going to write before they write it and I am 100% a pantser Um, and I don't think I could ever be a plotter if I tried because I think I would just get too frustrated by you know writing it is how I figured that out right so I'm sort of chasing something while I'm writing a first draft and that to me is what makes it fun and what makes it exciting is that I don't know what's going to happen. And until it's on the page, I, I, you know, and then, and then I'm thinking all the time when I'm writing a first draft, especially about those characters and what they're going to do next. And I'll come up with revelations while I'm like in the shower or walking my dog or, you know, what, what have you. So that's, that to me is like so fun to be kind of engaged with my imaginary world in that way. Um, but for this one, and I think probably because it just came from this, you know, incredibly sort of deep, urgent thing that, that, I, that I was writing about, especially for those, uh, you know, backstory chapters. It came out whole in a way that no other book that I've written has. So I really wrote this very similarly to, you know, what it, I obviously did a lot of revising, I always do, but it just kind of came out that way. And then when I went back and was revising, I would sort of take the, I sort of took the two sections apart so that I could kind of keep everything organized and balanced. But it really came out that way of sort of having this, you know, forward momentum of the reinvention story and then the backwards, you know, leading up to that moment. And I think You know, for me, so much of what this story is about. And I love when you said, like, oh, you know, that Becca, you sort of thought it was a story of reinvention. And then, you know, Grace, you thought it was a story of like this sort of twisty backstory. And of course, you know, yeah, it's, it's, it's really both. And it's about when you have that dividing moment in your life where everything feels like before and after. And I think when you have a big crisis, when you have a big trauma that happens to you, that is your life sort of becomes organized that way. And you think about people that you met before and after. You think about, you know, the way that you looked at life before and after this thing. And I I think that who you are before and after, you know, for the better or for worse. And so I think that was something that really like informed the structure. And I can't imagine having it be structured any other way because of that.
1: That totally makes sense. Okay, we're going to take another sponsor break. I am so excited about this sponsor because it's something I've been using for two years now, every single month. That sounds like I'm going to say it's Lola, but it's not.
0: Um, I love this brand so much. Can you guess who it is? It's Book of the Month. They have been on our dream sponsor list since the get-go. We're
1: so excited to have them. So Book of the Month is a book subscription made for those who
0: like to have fun because you get to choose something new every single month. So we are both huge fans of Book of the Month, and we've also been guest judges for them. And we've like given a review for one of their... Monthly picks. I feel like that's
1: like the highest honor. Like, I didn't quite realize what an honor it was until we were at the NY Public Library thing the other day, and several Bookstagrammers we met were like, Oh, you guys wrote for Book of the Month. Like, it's a big deal. I just love every month picking out my book, it's so much fun. Every month they feature five new books. Sometimes they're early releases, so you can get something ahead of everyone else, and you can pick one book or more based on how many
0: you want. So what I really love is that they screen all of the books. So they honestly, they have all of the best new releases of the month. And you know it's going to be good because you know that somebody else has read it and been like, this book is awesome. Like um, they just had in November, they had Get a Life, Chloe Brown, which we both read and loved. Mm -hmm. I reviewed that for them.
1: Mm -hmm. They also had, um, I think it was, is it the Ninth House? They had like all. Oh yeah, they had Ninth House. They had a lot of books that we've read that have been like hot new releases that everyone's like buzzing about. So it's kind of just like the the best way if you want to read something good, but you don't really know where to start. Because like Perusing Amazon or all of the other book sites is a little intimidating. Totally. We know a lot of you are already big fans of Book of the Month. Um, one thing that I really love seeing is in our Facebook group, somebody always starts a poll to talk about what everyone's reading. So if you aren't a Book of the Month yet member yet, go to the Facebook group, and there's always going to be a poll there with people talking about what you should read.
0: And it's also such a good way to try out a type of book that you wouldn't regularly read. Like You know the book has been vetted, so I'll stray outside of my comfort zone and Try something that like sounds good. If it's a book of the month pick, and book of the month picks books based on their stories, not based on their author. So you also get books from emerging writers and from writers with very diverse backgrounds, which I value. Yes,
1: and it's commitment free, so you can skip any month you want. This month I had to skip because I'd read most of the books already, <laughs> being the nerds that we are. Um, and you don't have to pick their book; you can actually choose any book they're offering.
0: For example, you can choose One Day in December, which is our December book club pick and was a previous book of the month pick. Yes. As always, we have an offer for you. Go to bookofthemonth.com
1: and when you sign up using code BOP, you can get any book, including One Day in December,
0: for just $5. $5 books is such a good deal. I am passionate about that. That's bookofthemonth.com, code BOP, to get your first book for $5. Amazing. Back to the episode. I'm curious to hear what's next for you. We saw on Instagram that you just finished a draft of your next book. Can you tell us anything about that? Yes,
2: I can. So I, yeah, I just finished um, a, a big revision of my my next novel. So it's about a social media entrepreneur who's just about to take his company public and a few days before the IPO is scheduled, his infant daughter goes missing. Ooh. And then you learn about him through the eyes of the three most important women in his life. So his current wife, his ex-wife, and his former girlfriend, and you learn that he is not all that he says he is.
0: is oh, this, this sounds right up my alley. Is, is this the first time that you've written a male protagonist?
2: Well, he's not the protagonist. Oh, he's not, he's not actually, the protagonist. Yeah, he's the three women are really the protagonist. Oh, okay. So he's yeah. I, uh, I I have not written ever a male protagonist. I've had male characters. Um, but yes, I, I don't know that I would ever write from a male perspective, um, not for sort of the duration of the whole book. Yeah. Um, maybe I will someday. I don't know. I, I feel like the male perspective has been pretty well covered in uh, books and pop culture. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't know that I to add to it but um but yes, yeah, so it's funny because the book is sort of about him but not about him
0: right? okay all right oh I'm very excited that sounds great yeah we're gonna need um we're gonna need
2: to read that as soon as you're oh ready. you guys will, you guys will be on the list don't worry <laughs>
0: <laughs> well Andrea before we let you go we have to ask you about reading because I I assume that you're a big reader if you oh yes if you love writing You've done some reading. Um, have you always <laughs> been an avid reader?
2: Yes, I, I've always loved reading. And I think that's where most of us start as writers. You know, just as you said, I, I don't, I've never met a, a writer that said, oh, no, you know, books don't really care for them, only my own. Um <laughs> Can you imagine? Yeah. I would like hang up. Yeah, I think yeah. Absolutely- no, I think it, would, it would not be a ringing and door. I, that, that would not make me want to want to read someone's books. I will say, I I have talked to. I will. I, this is something where it's kind of a half and half thing with writers. I know that we either will immediately read anything that someone says is like our writing, or they don't want to touch it because they're sort of worried mm-hmm. about it influencing them. Which I am very much in the camp where if someone tells me that. I, you know, the, oh, this, but your book that you're working on, or your book that I read, you know, reminds me of, of this person, like, I'll immediately go read them, because I think that's really good information for me on sort of the, you know, especially from sort of a positioning uh, sort of marketing perspective, right? Is like, oh, this is hitting readers in the same way. So I always find that fascinating. But yeah, some writers I know they will or they won't read anything in their genre while they're working on something new or that kind of thing. But no, certainly all of us are, are usually big readers. Um, so yeah, I mean, my mom read to us a lot as kids, so I had you know my favorites there. Like Chronicles of Narnia was the one that I really loved as a kid. Um, and you know now my daughter's uh, a year old, and so she's uh, you know I read to her a lot. Obviously, you know, sort of the little uh kids books, but she's she's started bringing them to me, which I just think is the cutest thing ever like okay I' to <laughs> read this book and I'm gonna look like I know you think you're washing dishes right now, but actually we're gonna read baby beluga um so that's that's really cute and really fun um so, yeah, I mean, I read a ton. As I said, I read a lot of stuff in my genre. I read, um, you know, what, whatever my genre sort of is called now. I can, I think genre distinctions are, are getting a bit wild these days. Um, but, yeah, I read I read a lot of thrillers. I read a lot of literary fiction. Um, I read some YA. I'm actually reading The Thousandth Floor right now. So I'm good.
1: Oh, my God. It's so fun, isn't it?
2: Yes. And which I learned about through your podcast. Yeah. Oh. So, um, Yeah, so I you guys have been an influence on my reading habits, for sure. Um, And I it was really fun, actually, because I I mentioned that on my Instagram. And then Catherine uh, reached out and we've been chatting back and forth. Because of course, you know, she worked in publishing. Yeah, you guys have uh, similar backgrounds. Yeah, so we're, like, sending each other all our books, and, and that's really fun. And that's, like, one of the most fun parts of being a published author It's just that you get to, like, have those kind of interactions with other authors because we're all sort of fans of each other, right? So that that's a really fun and gratifying part of my job for sure.
1: Wait, we need to go back to thrillers because you need to tell me all of your favorite thrillers. <laughs> oh, my goodness.
2: Not <laughs> I mean, all of them. Maybe just, know, just, like, like a how handful. How much time do you have? Like, Because <laughs> you've
1: sent me a couple of recommendations. The one by Taryn um, – what is the one? Taryn Fisher, yes.
2: yeah, called the Wives, which I love
1: because. So well, I, I was ready to order it, and then I realized it's not out yet. So I emailed their pu- the publishing house and asked. Well, them for you one. should
2: because I, I bet we can. <laughs> I bet we can get. We'll get you a galley because I'm also uh, spoiler. I'm friends with Taryn. She lives up here in Seattle, so that's that's how I got an early copy oh. of the book itself, which I was very excited about. And she's actually she's so interesting. She's she's coming over from Indie. She published. I think eight novels before this one. And then this is her first time in traditional publishing. So she's, she's like just a fascinating, um, great gal. So, um, so yeah, but I love the wives. That's, that's one again, January, 2020. So, Nobody yeah. has to wait super long. Just get on Not their too pre-order. Long. I'm always putting the plug in for pre-orders because it's yes. great for others. Um, And I'm going to have another one that you guys should all pre-order as well. Um, but yeah, that's so that sort of plays with, I mean, I will say like I love thrillers, but I also think, you know, like I loved Gone Girl. I loved Girl on the Train. And then I think there were a lot of books that, and this happens anytime there's a big trend in yeah uh in, in in fiction, right, is that everyone like then you see like a whole bunch of books that are on that trend. So I don't want to say copycats because I don't want to say like, oh, that people are sort of, you know, meaning to go out there and write a similar book. I mean, sometimes they are, but I think a lot of times too, that just like then maybe opens the door for, you know, for other books that, that hadn't, where people hadn't seen an audience. And Gonger was, I mean, it's really hard to understate the the sort of effect that book had on publishing because it really was this moment and this turning point where people thought, oh, something can have, you know, this like screaming page turning plot and have a lot of like literary value and character development and just be really good on like a line by line basis. And like people are into that. They love that. And so I think that actually, you know, for a long time, like one of the pieces of feedback I got from publishers was that like, oh, we just don't know whether this falls into like commercial or literary fiction. So like, we don't know what to do with it, you know, and then post Gone Girl, I think that really kind of obliterated that line in a really interesting way of just like, oh, things can have that crossover appeal. And like, that can be great. And so I think that really opened the door for, you know, my books and like a lot of other people that are sort of in that in that sort of crossover Venn diagram moment. Um, But yeah, and so I think like, you know, I have also read like a lot of really mediocre thrillers that sort of followed some similar... Uh, formulas and I won't name those here because I never, <laughs> you will never hear me say anything bad about another author's book I just will take that to the grave and so unless we're like drinking wine in person and then I'll tell you but like um, well, you we, know, have we have to have some lunch, wine in person you gotta come to we New we definitely should do that for like a lot of reasons I'm really campaigning to get you guys to come to Seattle to do live show um, so I'll just I'll put that in there that I'll, I'll spill all the tea if you guys go to Seattle and hang out with me um, but you know so some of the ones that I loved I'm always like when I can have like a good fresh thriller I think there's like you know with a good like literary voice and like really good characters I think there's like nothing more satisfying so I love you by Carolyn Kepnes and all of her books Um, so
0: excited for the second season of the show oh my god I cannot wait I just saw like a very
1: brief teaser on Netflix's Instagram maybe or something
2: yes um yeah so good and I've actually read she's working on a a third Joe book (gasps) And I actually have read a draft of it, and it's set in the Pacific Northwest. And so I'm super excited about that, and everyone else should be too. Um, So, yeah, I love that one. So, I mentioned The Wise by Taryn Fisher. That is amazing. It sort of takes that, again, what I think is like a formula that's like really well established now. My agent actually calls it The Husband Did What fiction, (laughs) Um, (laughs) which I just find hilarious. That's great. But yeah, so you know, these sort of like, again, people are calling them kind of domestic thrillers. And I I don't know, I'm a little annoyed by that term, just because I think it kind of sounds like it's like thrillers, but for girls. Um, But you know, it is that sort of like, oh, something happening in a marriage or in a family. Um, And it really sort of Turns it on its head in this interesting way. And the book just becomes something that I was not expecting. And it really like had that thing where I was like, okay, I think I have a handle on what's going on. And then I'd be like, oh no, I don't. Oh wait, I don't. Oh again, I don't. And it just was really like kept me guessing. And it's such a like sort of tight viewpoint with the main character that you really are like, going through it with her. And it was just, yeah, it was really so great and felt so fresh. Um, Another great one that I read really recently was Looker by Laura, um, by Laura Sims. So that one's about a woman who's living next to, in like a Brooklyn A townhouse next to a famous woman um who she gets kind of obsessed with and then she's just sort of like unraveling as the book goes on um oh i'm ordering this right now i just added it to my cart that sounds oh, great. So good. And it's really short. So I actually like um, I was uh, I got to read that in like one sitting while my husband was, you know, off with the baby on a Saturday morning. And I haven't gotten to do that since the baby was born. And I was like, oh, that's the most satisfying thing because I think it's like 185 pages. So it's
1: oh, there's nothing really better. short.
2: So you can just like sit down and just consume it. Um, another one that I love is uh, The Woman Upstairs by Claire Massoud, which actually is thematically very similar to Looker, um, where it's kind of a woman who's, you know, who's single and is interacting with this family. And they're all artists. And it was just, oh, my gosh, it's just phenomenal. This sounds like uh, I've read it, but I haven't. <laughs> there's
1: like the woman well, in the window. The, the woman is yeah, always somewhere. Lot, yeah, the, the there's always
2: like a lot of girls and women in the titles to these books. So I think it can get quite confusing. <laughs> um, very different, I think, than the w- the woman in the window. There was a whole Michigas about him. Oh my and, god, I know. Yeah, that was like a really fun literary drama. And actually mentioned the, one one of the articles, which of course this stood out like a beacon to me. But then there was like so much else going on with the whole story that I think it didn't get that much attention. But someone positing that he actually has not Munchausen by proxy because he doesn't have children, but Munchausens, which is when you invent your own medical issues and dramas. And so that was like one of many things going on in that article because obviously he had like a ton of other, you know, weird scams and crazy behavior. Um but yeah, so I don't I don't really he doesn't seem like a person whose whose book we should all be buying. So buy the woman upstairs instead of the woman in the window. <laughs> okay. <laughs>
0: it's so funny how similar these titles are. Whenever Grace tells oh, me something that she's read,
2: my the mind always goes, "Haven't you read that already?"
0: Yeah. yeah. It's
2: bad. Well, you know, again, like, you know, publishing, and it's been really interesting to see how publishing has changed because I mean, I had my first job in publishing in like 2004, right? So it's changed a ton since then. Um, And then in some other ways, like not at all. But I think, you know, publishers are always trying to figure out what, um, you know, what is, is gonna, is gonna work. And so you see big cover art trends, you see big, um, title trends, you see, obviously, you know, things will be everything from like, okay, all the novels have vampires in them. And now none of the novels have vampires, because vampires are, you know, feeling, feeling overdone. And so yeah, you you see these trends kind of rise and fall. And I think it's always a mistake as a writer to try and write to any trend, you really just have to like write your work. And then sometimes frustratingly, you're going to have to wait for the, um, for the industry to catch up. But then the other crazy thing is, you never know what moment you're going to be publishing into. So you know, with the last book, with She Regrets Nothing, there was a big sort of some themes of, um, of like, uh, domestic violence that ended up resonating in this totally unexpected way because it came out right after you know right as the first few months of me too were happening and so people were asking me all the time oh did you have that in mind i was like no i finished this book way before you know this harvey weinstein story even broke yeah. and i could never have anticipated that we'd be in this kind of moment so that's the other thing is you just never know like what all's going to be going on around around your book when you come out with it
0: yeah well, Andrea, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing with us the background of the book. I, like, I'm blindsided. I feel like I learned so much yeah. more. I want to go back and read it for a third time now. I know. Oh names. my goodness,
2: that's the best compliment I could could ever get. So, <laughs> thank you so can,
0: much. Can you tell everyone where they can find you? What your other books are? Anything that they can do for you before oh my we goodness. sign off?
2: That's so nice. Um, Yeah. I mean, so the place I'm the most active is Instagram. I love, I love the sort of bookstagram community as it's called on there. It tends to be a very positive and uplifting place. So if you're looking on for a place on social media that doesn't make (laughs) you jump off a bridge, Um, that's, that's, you have a great Instagram. Instagram. Thank you so much. You know, I've really been putting a lot into it because that's just been a platform that's had a lot of payoff for me. And I, you know, hear from the most readers on there and have the best discussions. And so I, I really, I really enjoy spending time on there. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the base, best place to find me. And um, wait, best to her me. handle is at Andrea Dunlop. So you yes. should follow her. Yes. So thank you. Um, so very simple. And yes, I have uh, three books out currently. Um, also a novella that's only an ebook that I wrote in between two of them. Um, so Losing the Light, She Regrets Nothing uh, are the first two novels. Then Broken Bay is my novella. And We Came Here to Forget is my most recent novel.
0: Well, thank you so much for being here. We're excited already for the next one. Yes, we can. Oh,
2: thank wait. you guys so much. It was really a pleasure. So now you just need to come visit me and uh and Taryn and Lori in Seattle oh my god don't threaten us with a good time perfect (laughs) all right I'll get a babysitter and everything (laughs)